This is the official Pompey podcast. In this episode, head coach Danny Cowley sits down with Johnny Moore to discuss his career from teaching PE to professional football. Danny, not so long ago, you were a PE teacher in a school. So working in the real world, has that kept you grounded? I think so. Yeah, I'd hope so. Um, I started teaching in 2001, taught for 15 years. Brilliant school, lo- the loveliest of, of kids. I always wanted to work in a tough school. That was my ambition when I first went into university. And then um, I, I studied in at Greenwich University because I was still playing non-league. So I kind of was able to pay my way through university by playing a good level of non-league football. So while we, my friends at uni were stacking shelves, I was, I was a bit more fortunate than that. Um, and, and I worked in some tough schools during my placements in, in South London and a really tough school in Rainham, Gillingham, I remember. And then I went for an interview at, at, at Fitzweimart School in Rayleigh, Essex, which really is pretty close to, to, to where I live. And it was just the best school. And I was fortunate enough to get the job. And, um, oh, my God, the kids were just unbelievable. They were these types of children that if you, if you said to them, Mike, we're going to have headstand competition, go, you could come back an hour later and they'd still be in a headstand. They were just, um, just the loveliest, loveliest of kids and just enjoyed it. We, I started off as a PE teacher, I think, within about two years, I'd become head of department. And we, we had a lovely time. We, we ended up in states, probably my... My, my most proud achievement is that we were we were state sports school of the year in 2013. So I think 3,600 secondary schools, and we got voted number one. And we were only a comprehensive school, so we um we actually went to, we won I think maybe 20 different national titles in different sports, and we um yeah we we come fourth in the world at athletics in the world schools games, which was which was good. Leroy Burrell was. He was he was coaching one of the um, one of the Dubai schools, and uh, obviously the hundred meter sprinter. So that was pretty pretty good, but good fun. Loved it. Great kids, brilliant. Lo- I still speak to loads of them on social media. Actually, they're always coming to me, and I must I must have the record for the amount of references I write because I just so many of them ask for references. So I'm constantly having to write references for, 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 for the kids of Fitzroy at school. But no, great, great, great times. Nick, uh, by, well, myself, Nikki and my wife, Kate, all worked at the same school, actually. So it was really? good. Yeah, and my parents, are, I, we were just working class family, really. Probably by the end of our upbringing, had, had middle class benefits. We were lucky, you know, mum and dad worked really hard for that. And... Uh, my mum, um, my dad's an accountant and he, he's, he's actually a UA4A coach. So he's got, well, he, he's got, he's, um, it was called back then your A licence. So he's got, he's got his, he's got his, he's got his A licence as a coach. And he coached mine and Nikki's teams growing up. And my mum, yeah, my mum, when we were young, she would work, she'd work in McDonald's and she'd always have all the stars and I'd be like, she'd be like trying to get the stars. So you get like a star for, get a star for cleaning the toilet. You get a star for making a Big Mac. And 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 she, once we went back to school, she went back to, she worked in banking. And she ended up being, um, she, do you know what? She never had one day off in 27 years, my mum. She worked for 27 years, not one day off ill. And she, um, she went for, she worked, 
eventually for JP Morgan, and she was a vice president there. So she worked her way all the way up, which I was always proud of my mum doing that because we'd like, I can always remember waking up. We'd, she'd wake me up at maybe half six. All of our clothes would be ironed. All of our lunches would be ready. She'd be getting on the train to go to London. She set us up. We'd go to school. We'd come home. She'd get in about seven o'clock, cook us dinner, iron all of our clothes again. And we'd always say she'd sit on the sofa. And by the time she'd sit down on the sofa, within five minutes, she'd always be asleep. And she used to just fall asleep on the sofa and then get up and do it all again the next day. And yeah, it was always, I can always just always for my parents, really just that, that work ethic was saying that we were always really proud of really. And I suppose we've always tried to, to follow. That's what they love about you. So you're so sort of grounded and down to earth. You seem inextricably linked to your brother. Most brothers fight like cat and dog. Uh, you've just been linked to him throughout your management career and, and in school as well. Was that engineered or did it just happen? Um, no, I think we've always been close. Nicky, Nicky was a very, very good young player. Um, we were both at professional clubs when we were young. Nicky always played up. So he'd always, because my dad used to take out and coach our team, um, he would he would always play and train up. So I think that that kind of gave him that almost fast track. And then, yeah, we've always been really close, really. We've always had the same friends. He would always make the numbers up with my friends when we play over the park or play out in the street. And, and, and yeah, we've always lived in each other's pockets, really. And, we we when when I taught at Fitzroy Mark School, I, I'm three years older than Nick. So him him and my wife Kate are the same age. So they went to the same university, had were on the same course. And once I once they qualified, I was head of department and I knew what I wanted to do with the department. And I wanted to be the best department in the country. And I knew I needed good people to do that. And I knew that they would work really hard. So I managed to um engineer roles for them at the school and and yeah, that's when that, that started. And then playing, um, we played together on a couple of occasions. We had time, which was always good because my mum and dad, my mum's actually a twin. And my mum's one of these that thinks that everything has to be equal. So everything always has to be fair. So she would go one way to watch one of us. My dad would go the other way to watch the other one. So when we played together, it was always nice because mum and dad could go, could go and watch us together. Um, and then obviously my career ended before I, I didn't see it coming really at 29, 28. Spent a year trying to rehab, couldn't get back to where I wanted to be. I took over at Concord Rangers. I taught Nicky to Nicky was probably playing three divisions higher than that at the time. And really I talked him into playing for me and, and some of my friends as well. So I got a bit of a I got a bit of a cheat to the start of my managerial career because I, I had I had some friends that probably were playing a bit below themselves. And I think we actually scored, we scored 199 goals in my first year as a manager and, uh, and got promoted. I was joint manager with a guy called Danny Scopes, who's still the manager of Concord Rangers now. And brilliant guy. And, uh, and yeah, Nicky played for me. He, was, he'd, he scored 27 goals in our first year as a centre midfielder. And he was, he was captain. And, he, and I was paying him £120 a week, which was huge money. I only had a £1,000 budget. And it was a huge money for me. And, and he scored 27. He was captain. We got promoted. And the next year, I only paid him 100 because I had to pay, I took £20 off of him, which he always reminds me of. But we needed to give it to another, an, another player to get them. So, so yeah, we had, we had good fun. And then Nicky's career, about seven years in, 
seven years into Concord was coming to the end and probably by about the fourth or fifth year, he was player coach and was having more and more influence on the team off the pitch as well as on it. And we'd by that time got to the conference South and he always says we were better. We've done better since he stopped playing. So we're just trying to work out if that's because he wasn't a very good player and was holding us back or, or in fact, he's actually a really good coach. You're very like a Morecambe and Wise. You're, you're the front man and you come out of all the analogies about lions coming out of the jungle. Um, he stands a couple of steps back. You do all the interviews and everything. Again, is that is that by sort of, is that by Not default? Really, or? no. No, we just divvy our jobs up. We just divide the jobs up. And I think because we've come from the level that we've come from and because we didn't have the support network that we're lucky enough to have here, um, I think you get used to doing all the different roles or having an understanding of all the different roles. And yeah, we just divide them up accordingly, really. Um, I think we're lucky enough to be able to fall in and out of roles. Sometimes we can play good cop and bad cop. And sometimes I can be the good cop and he can be the bad cop and vice versa. Um, sometimes I take the lead on the coaching pitch. Sometimes he takes the lead on the coaching pitch. Sometimes he takes the lead in the video room and the analysis room. So we, you know, we're not... It's not clearly defined, um, but what I think we do have, we, 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 we know each other inside out. So we have a natural sort of chemistry. And I suppose that um, I know what, what he's thinking before he's thinking it. And we have that telepathic, that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Yeah, that telepathic understanding of each other. So I can always help him when he needs my help. He can always help me when I need his help. Like Clough and Taylor years before you, did you ever see a good. point... <laughs> Could you ever see a point where you go off in other directions? I would be less than half as good as I am now without Nicky, that is for sure. So I'd feel naked if I did. Um, I'm pretty used to having him next to me, drawing on his iPad, saying <laughs> he should be on this blade of grass, not this blade of grass. And you know, Nicky's very got a very good understanding of the game. He, he's very good at depicting the game tactically. It's like a game of chess for him, and he's got a very good eye. Yeah, very good. He, he's... There's a wonderful thing about football. In 2007, when you took over as Concord Rangers manager or assistant manager, yeah. Pompey were winning the FA Cup. Now, if you watched that final that year against Cardiff, did you ever dream at that time that one day you'd be married to the football club here at Frank I know. Park? Yeah, well, we were... Joint managers maybe at that time with Danny Scopes. It was, yeah, 2007. We'd have been in the Essex Senior League level tier nine of English football and you were obviously in the Premier League. So seems quite a long way apart at that moment. So I don't, I'd be lying to say I had this vision that this is what was going to happen. But I think what, what, what we were able to do, we were able to get some promotions. We were able to get some momentum. I think you naturally draw confidence the more competent you become and obviously I was practicing my skills day in day out on the school field and a lot of the skills are transferable um we it was only really when we got to Braintree we we left Concord after eight years and and we were right on the verge of the playoffs and really the chairman who I who I still see regularly and really fond of uh, at, at Concord Rangers Anthony Smith he he said to me, Dan, we can't get promoted. We haven't, can't even afford the coach journeys, let alone the players and the wages that we would need to be in the National League. And I was like, 
we can't we we would so there it was april and all we needed we we didn't we we just need we we sold a boy called jordan chadozi um we'd got to the fa cup first round played mansfield he'd scored a brilliant goal cambridge bought him off the back of it and he was available for us to take back on loan and it was only 200 pound a week it was going to cost 800 pound that month and it wasn't that and didn't want to do it for this amount. It was just that he didn't want to get promoted. He said, but we can't, can't afford it. We're not ready. All the ground improvements we would have needed. Because obviously we'd had, we'd had three promotions in the, in the, in the seven years before. So it was at that point really that I realised, oh, I'm going to have to leave. And we could have left loads of times. We'd had loads of good options to, or opportunities to leave. But I felt like we were, we were loving the journey and we were still adding value. And we were on a, on a, on a journey that we were, we were really enjoying. But yeah, then we, yeah, that, so then at the end of that season, we had the opportunity to go to Braintree and it was the league above. And Alan Devonshire had been the manager and he's actually my dad's favourite player, ever player. And it, so that was, it, that was quite daunting taking over after him. And, but to be honest, we'd, we inherited, inherited a great group of players. We, um, we managed to talk them all into staying because they were all actually leaving because the club, it was a difficult club, Braintree. There was a lot of politics at the club. They were in a position where they were potentially selling the stadium for housing development. There was a, there was a lot going on above us, but we just concentrated on football. We managed to bring some players, three players in from Concord, talk the players that were staying to stay. I think like the year before the club had finished 16th, we actually, in that season, would you believe, we, did, we played one game in 49 nine days because our pitch was underwater and the league nearly kicked us out of the, out of the division because we couldn't, just couldn't get the pitch right and we had to buy covers for the pitch, but we had no one to put the covers on. So it'd be us and the players after training on a Thursday night at like 10 o'clock. Take us about an hour and an hour and a half, two hours to put these covers on and off the pitch. It was a nightmare. But we managed to... To just kind of navigate through all of that, and we finished third, which was an uh, an incredible achievement. You know, we were part time in the full time league. We had an un- our budget was one hundred and eighty grand, which would have been the bottom, would have been the lowest in that division, and just had the best group. So hardworking, so focused, and finished third. And just at the back of that season, all of a sudden there started to be some interest at full time clubs, and it was like. Oh my goodness, we're going to get a chance to do something that we've dreamt of all of our lives. Because we come up a bit short as players to get in full time football. And that was always our ambition. But kind of 36 years down the line, you get a chance to fulfill your dream. And of course, it's a huge risk because you're in a teaching job that you love at a school that's an incredible school. And pretty much as a teacher, you have to commit murder to get the sack. Um, and you're going to go into the world of professional football where you're never more than six games away from the sack. So it was a it was a leap of faith, but we believed in our skill set and believed in our work ethic, and we believed we could make it work. And unfortunately, we've been able to talk about the sack. You you've known almost success for 14 years and been in a job for 14 years in football. Then it comes crashing down around you. Does that shake the philosophy you had? Um, no, I think it was a brilliant experience at Huddersfield. We left Lincoln with a heavy heart, really. We didn't want to leave. 
if truth be known. We'd, we'd made so much progress at the club, loved the club. Our con- in our contracts, the compensation was set at a million pound, but it was coming down each year. And it was halving in the summer. And the, we'd made an agreement with the club. It was clear the club was trying to um, speculate to accumulate. Is that the right saying? And they, we'd, they'd, part of their business plan was to, was to maybe look to sell us. We'd been really aggressive. We'd pushed. We'd got two promotions. And they were ready. They, they needed, as part of their business plan, to cash in on our on 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 us and we we understood that and we'd had a, quite a bit of interest from the championship at that time and of course there was part of us that wanted to challenge ourselves at the next level but we were really enjoying the journey at Lincoln we loved the club and we loved the people and we felt like we were on upward curve but we we went to Huddersfield and they'd obviously they'd only won one game in 38 when we arrived it had an incredibly difficult period in the Premier League. And being honest, the challenge, we've always run towards challenges. And the exciting part of the challenge was, oh my God, these really need our help. Really felt like they needed our help. And probably naively, we underestimated how bad it was there in terms of just the morale, the morale of the staff. The staff, I think, had been on Premier League wages. They'd then had their wages cut when they'd come back to the to the championship, I think to an extent they felt that the players had let them down. So there was an angst between the players and the staff. The staff, the, the playing staff were just on the floor. I remember Jonathan Hogg, who would have played at Portsmouth, unbelievable kid, a warrior, so competitive. He said to me on day one, imagine waking up every Monday morning, climbing a mountain, get to the top on a Saturday afternoon, slide back down it, I have to wake up Monday morning and do it all again. And that's what he, that was his way of explaining the previous 38 games. And it was a real challenge. It was brilliant. I loved it. The players were, were great. They were, some of them were really hard work, but they were good fun. And I really liked them. They, were, they had real personality. They thought, some of them thought differently to Nicky and I. We had lots of players of different cultures. Um, and that's probably the first time we've ever managed players of different cultures. You know, you've got to remember, I went from an £800 budget at, at Concord Rangers to a £22 million budget at Huddersfield. Um, so they were, they did think differently. It was great. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed getting to know them and learning about them and trying to help them and improve them and make them better. We did really well. We actually, nobody probably knows this, but we got 50 points in because we didn't manage the last game of the season. So we got 50 points in 35 games, which actually meant that if we'd have beat Millwall in our last game of the season, unfortunately, we beat West Brom and got sacked after beating West Brom. But if we'd beaten Millwall, we'd have actually been sixth in the division in the time, from the time that we took over to the end of the season. So we would have won that one match, we'd have finished sixth, which we thought was a really good achievement considering where, where the club had been. Was your self-belief still there after that experience? Um, I just think it was a great experience. I, I thought I never thought I'd get a sack, if I'm honest. I thought I was always going to be able to work it out. You know, it wasn't until Huddersfield, and I don't know if you can you notice that, but we'd never ever lost more than two games on the trot until Huddersfield, and Huddersfield we lost three, which was 
desperately disappointing. But we'd gone through 13 years of only ever losing two games. So we always thought we could work it out. Um, but, but it's football and people tell me that you're not a proper football manager unless you've got the sack. So at least that makes me a proper football manager now. Um, but yeah, of course it knocks you. It hurts you. It hurts everybody around you, really. You know, your children, they don't really understand. Um, they'd only really known, you know, the Lincoln supporters have been so good to us. And because we'd had the success we'd had there with a cup run and two promotions and the Checker Trade Trophy win, they kind of are, they kind of put us on this pedestal, really. And they, I suppose they used to, they, they almost thought like we could walk on water. And that actually made me feel really nervous because um, when people feel... You can't. <laughs> I think when people... <laughs> Wish I could. I think when people think that you're better than you are, that actually is a worry to you because you kind of know where that story is going to end and you're going to end up not being able to live up to their expectation. When people are doubting you, then I'm quite determined and I like to prove people, I'm quite happy to prove people wrong. Um, and that kind of, I prefer that than the other way, if I'm honest. But, but no, it, yeah, I, I just think it was great learning. We took loads from it. I'm a better manager today because of that experience. So I wouldn't change it. Football philosophy, where, where did yours come from? Well, we're West Ham supporters. So we kind we'll of... forgive you for that one, yeah. I know, I know, I know, I know. We kind of grew up supporting West Ham. Um, my Isabella, so my, my Isabella, she, um, she supports West Ham. And I always say, who do you like best, West Ham or, or Portsmouth? And, and, and she said, well, I only cry when Portsmouth lose. I don't cry if West Ham lose. So when we lost against Burton, she's a, she's 11, but she was, um, my, my wife, cause she plays football. She loves her football. She said, my wife said she was inconsolable for about an hour after. So frustrated that we couldn't find the equaliser. So she, so that's how she decided that she definitely supports Portsmouth more than she supports West Ham. But, but no, I think just how we like the game to be played, what we like, um, I like it. I like it fast. I like it high-paced, high-energy. We're nowhere near where we want to be. We can be play with so much more purpose and so much more um, speed than we currently are. At the moment, we are too many passes to get over the halfway line. It's too slow. It's got to be much quicker. And it's just about trying to just trying to improve the players' understanding, improve the players' angles, improve the players' spacings make them then get to a place where they can pass into, into the space rather than the, the feet and just being able to speed our play out much quicker. And then if we do that, I think then we get more players on the attacking line because the attacking players, if the ball comes too slow, they start to creep towards the ball and come underneath the ball. And then you don't get the, and you, you don't get the overloads in the attacking areas, which is where you need them. So, so no, there's loads of work for us to be doing, but 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 yeah, definitely, I like I like to get control and I like to get rhythm and I like to dominate games. And the best way to get control and rhythm and dominate games is with the ball. But then when we haven't got the ball, it's equally important to me. So I want to go and play really high energy and I want to play aggressive and I want to win it as quick as I can and I want to attack them. That's what I want to do. I want to attack them and I want to get the ball back because it's my ball, not theirs. You're an interviewer's dream because you, you you give really long answers to, to questions, and you know you can tell you live and breathe football. 
<laughs> Whenever you ask a new Portsmouth manager about where this club can go, it's always the cliches about the sky's the limit and they can go anywhere they want to. Mm. You don't talk cliches, so you give us your account of where you can take Portsmouth. Yeah, well, I think I think that what we have to do as a football club is have a clear self-awareness of where we're at, have complete clarity over what the vision is and what we want to achieve. And I think you get the start point, you get the destination, then all of a sudden the stepping stones become much more clear um, and the process becomes that much more clear. But firstly, the first point, you'd be self-aware enough to say, look, this is actually where we're at and this is what we're doing well and this is where we need to improve. And this is how far we're away from, the, from, from, our, from our vision. Um, I've managed in eight of the top nine divisions. I want to manage in the ninth division. So that probably leads you to think where I would like to take Portsmouth. But I'm, not, I'm, I'm very careful of shout, shouting from the rooftops in terms of creating more expectation than probably the club is, re- is ready for. And we have to make the get, jump to the next one. That's what we have to do as quickly as we possibly can. We have to get to the championship. And then the champ- League One to the Championship out of the promotions that I've had is the biggest jump. That has been the biggest jump. So there, we will, I don't like using the word consolidation. Cons- consolidation is like treading water and treading water is so boring to me. So I, I just want to find our way to the next division. So then establish ourselves as a, as a, as a championship club. And the difference between consolidation and establishing is you're establishing yourselves to be able to then create a spring ball to be able to push on from now. And then if we can then become a top 30 club, again, which, you know, is a top 10 team in the championship, you're on the brink of playoffs, aren't you? And then when you're in the top 30, then you can dare to dream. And then the dream is then to find a way to get to the back to the promised land. Um, I've been to the championship and it's a lot warmer. All the stadiums feel a lot warmer. Pitches are better. It's a brilliant level. And no doubt the Premier League is an even better level. So, so yeah, that, 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 that's how I see the journey going for us as a, as a club. Step by step, stage by stage. But we've got brilliant owners. I mean, Wow. To, to, to do what they've, all, they've done with Disney, um, you have to be pretty smart and pretty intelligent. And I think we're really fortunate to have them, have them supporting us. And we've loved the, the early conversation that we've had with them. And I, I think that that in itself makes us, you know, it's really hard to find good people in football. And I think when you do, and certainly when Nikki and I have been able to do in the past at Concord Rangers and Lincoln in particular, We've been able to have some good fun. Danny, I'd love to go on forever because we could knock another hour out of this. But sadly, we've come to the end of time. So thank you very much, mate. And we'll, My we'll pleasure, Johnny. Oh, it's been lovely speaking to you. Thanks ever so much for your, for your time. And go on, tell me about Portsmouth, mate. What's your, what, what's your best game? My best game? Well, over 54 years. Yeah. I'll tell you something. What you said about your daughter, a few years ago, she'd have been crying every week. You'd have had a manic depressive <laughs> on your hands. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't win for 23 games. One, I know. One I remember. I remember. I remember that year being t- really tough. Go on. So, best ever game? 
best of the game would have to be one of my first back in 68 when we beat Fulham in the um in the FA Cup in the fourth round and we 45,000 wow. in there was under it? floodlights one of my my second ever game and that's oh where I God. fell in love with football yeah Did you? And I've been here ever since, which is... <laughs> I know. Well, Bobby Robson talks about... Uh, have you ever read his quote about walking up the steps at St James's Park and, and his love for football? It's one of the most brilliant quotes. And uh, exactly, literally what you described, just yeah. the, the way you fall in love with a game. But who's, who's the best ever Portsmouth player? I suppose you'd have to say, even though he was way past his prime, people like Prozanecki, yeah. it was a dream to have him on the front wow. field, you know. What a player he was! What what did he have? Just awareness, technical he could ability. Just do do things easily that other players found difficult. You know, yeah. he, he he knew what was coming behind him. He scored that trick here once against Barnsley, and we were four one up, and we drew four all. And you've never seen such a miserable bloke come off the field. Yeah, I bet. He said, you know, I, I score a hat trick and. <laughs> How, how do we not win? Yeah, wow. It's on YouTube somewhere, so I'm sure you'll yeah. find it. I, rem- I, couldn't, I genuinely, I can remember it. I, he was Croatian, wasn't he? I can remember his blonde blonde hair. and what Yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to love a bloke called Dave Kemp, who probably wouldn't know. He played, he, he was Tony Pulis's assistant for a long time. Oh, I do know him. In America. I, yes, yeah, yeah, I do know him. Yeah, yeah. he's a, player, he's a great he? goal scorer because we were crap and we got relegated and he scored about 25 goals in the team that got relegated. And that, wow. you know, that, that always stood out for me. Yeah, you can score goals in successful teams, but, you know. Yeah, not easy. Not easy to score goals in, in a team that's that's suffering. But, but no, oh, it's lovely, lovely to talk to you and hopefully yeah. once... Um, once these COVID restrictions reduce, we'll be able to see you at the games. Yeah.